2: Cortisol problems can hit us at any stage of life. And it's not female body specific as well. So if you have male males in your life, I was going to say a male partner, but really like Mm -hmm. any man in your life, definitely listen up because this can affect men as well. So in the book, I have the questionnaire and I help people understand the difference between high and low cortisol. And I think what's important as we go into the symptoms is to understand that low cortisol comes following high cortisol and it is a adaptation by the body it's not Mm -hmm. that you don't make enough cortisol it's that your body has now adapted because the high cortisol is so damaging it's aging us at the cellular level literally destroying us cortisol is a really good thing Mm -hmm. until you have too much of it
1: you're listening to she with jordan lee Dooley a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Dr. Brighton, welcome back to She. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And I love the last time that you were on. I think everyone just like ate it up. So I'm like, okay, we have to have her back. She has a new book out. There's more to talk about. So we're doing all the things. But before we do dig into that, and for those who may not have heard your first episode or may not be familiar with you or your books, can you just give us a little of your background and why women's health is so important to you?
2: Sure. So I'm a nutrition scientist. I'm board certified in naturopathic endocrinology, which means that I'm a hormone doctor. (laughs) And I'm very passionate about women's health, not just because I have ovaries, but Mm -hmm. because I've just seen that far too long society has dismissed women, gaslit them, and really hasn't given them the information nor the healthcare that they deserve.
1: Yeah, it's so true. I think a lot of us who have experienced some sort of women's health challenge, whether that's infertility or you know PCOS or pain or something, so many of us know that feeling of just being dismissed or written off or written a script and not really given the tools we need to really support our bodies. So I just, I love what you're doing. And your new book is called, Is This Normal? And it's really giving the medically accurate answers women want to know, but are too embarrassed to ask, as well as busting myths women have been told for generations. Why did you feel like this book was necessary to write? And what have you noticed about how women are or maybe aren't educated about their own bodies?
2: This book is really born out of everything that my patients, that my online readers at drbrighton.com, that people on social media have been bringing me through the years and really opening my eyes to the fact that we need a user manual. Mm -hmm. We need answers to all of these questions that don't require a doctor's visit. Mm -hmm. You don't need to go to the doctor for every single period problem. But if you do, I've got you covered in the book to know exactly when that is. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, I wrote this book during the pandemic. And I think that really highlighted more than anything, how many women just felt so unsure in their own body, Mm -hmm. even though they know their body better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. They were being, you know, a lot of the same stuff, dismissed, gaslit, but also not being able to get into doctor's appointments. Mm -hmm. And so even more so turning to the internet, Do try to find answers for what's normal.
1: Yeah, what's going on? Totally. Makes so much sense. Okay, so here's what I want to know. If you had to pick maybe three, what would you say are the three most commonly asked questions, you know, when it comes to women's health that you get from different women?
2: Number one is uh, I would say, is my libido normal? Once my office door closes, people want to know, is my libido normal? Or if they're anonymously messaging me on my Ask Dr. Mm Brighton, I do on social media. You know, the other is, are my hormones normal? Mm-hmm. And and that can lend itself to all kinds of symptoms that people ask. And then are my periods normal? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I feel like there's such variation in periods and we're all taught from the 28 day standard mm-hmm. that it feels really confusing.
1: Yeah, it's so true. I think all of us have probably wondered those three. So I'm really glad that you pointed those out and that they're, you know, I think I'd be curious in those conversations, do you feel like women or some women are even embarrassed to ask those like that, because it's not something that, is often talked about, or that they have, that, oh, they, yeah. that they felt like they've had a space to openly ask about and talk about. I would say the whole first
2: section of my book mm-hmm. is just filled with questions women were too embarrassed to ask their doctors, mm-hmm. and brought me online or through years of me building trust with them. Mm-hmm. But you know, the first section of the book is talking about your your vagina, your mm-hmm. vulva the coloration, the discharge, Mm -hmm. your sexual health and these different aspects like libido. Mm -hmm. And I feel, you know, I did a survey online and found that the majority of women are not comfortable talking to their doctor.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's in part because they feel like their doctor wouldn't even help them. Yeah. What would they do? Like that's, it almost doesn't feel medical, like, or it doesn't feel like it fits in that setting, even though it's totally like related to your health. It's like a marker of your health, but I can totally understand why people would be like, um, when my doctor even do anything, what would they help me with? You know? So yeah. it makes total sense. Okay. So you mentioned the, the period being a question and kind of this typical 28 day cycle we've been taught about, but I want to know how would you describe a normal period and what are some common symptoms that women often have with their period that aren't supposed to be, or aren't considered, you know, good or normal.
2: Okay, so I love the way that you frame all of this because I quote normal period, it has a range. Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about a period, we're talking about bleeding. Bleeding can start with spotting. It can be one day of spotting. If it's more than that, there could be a problem. Mm -hmm. But one day of spotting and then the actual period starts with flow. Mm -hmm. That period should be at least three days. Mm -hmm. Most people on average are five Mm -hmm. and not last more than seven days. When it starts, we expect to have some cramping. Mild cramping is normal. And depending on your pain tolerance, you might be like, oh, that was nothing. Mm-hmm. If it's extreme and it's really painful and you're vomiting and you're having to take pain meds and unable to function, go to work, go to mm-hmm. school, things like that, that's extreme. That's mm-hmm. not normal, even though we're often told that kind of period pain is normal. It's also not normal to go beyond seven days and have you know heavy bleeding we're also sometimes told like jokes like, oh, it's the red current or, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're surfing the red tide or like it's like Carrie, that movie, which is very old school. Mm-hmm. And that makes people believe like, oh, well, that must be normal. Mm-hmm. It's normal to be a little bit tired. You shouldn't be flat out exhausted. But if you do feel like, oh, I'm a little bit tired before my period, mm-hmm. you're having a major shift in hormones in mm-hmm. order for your period to come on. Mm-hmm. That's also considered normal.
1: Yeah, I think that's good to know because... Like you said, so many of the like extremes, or I think it's hard to know like what's considered extreme because of all these jokes, or you know, like you said, some of the the things that people have used to describe it. It's like, oh, well, maybe this is normal, and we've normalized. I think so much that is actually probably an indicator of something being off internally, and I, I think it's important to know that. And when I started to learn about that a couple years ago, I was like. Oh my gosh, like I feel like this has got to be so eye-opening to so many different people who because I know there was a point in my life when I was really estrogen dominant and had a much heavier flow. And I just thought, like, oh, that's just like how it is, you know, until I started learning a lot more and making some lifestyle shifts and I saw a change in my periods, I was like, oh, it can be so much better, you know? And I think people don't even realize that, you know. So I'm like, Mm. we just need everyone to know this. Okay, speaking of normal and periods and cycles and all that, I'd also love to know. Is it normal to not ovulate every single cycle? This is one of the things I feel like I've heard different thoughts on. So I want to get your thought on it.
2: Yeah. Okay. So we always teach from the period, right? When we teach about the cycle, because mm-hmm. it's super obvious there's blood and like, right. But the cycle as explained, is this normal? It starts with ovulation. Mm-hmm. Ovulation comes first. So anyone who's had a baby. You don't just get your period back. If you have a good midwife or doctor, they warned you like you're going to ovulate, then you're going to menstruate. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want another baby, use caution. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, you know, is it normal not to ovulate every cycle? So you will not have regular cycles if you are not ovulating regularly. So that's first thing to know. Like we talked, you mentioned PCOS earlier on, polycystic Mm -hmm. ovarian syndrome. The hallmark of that condition is you don't ovulate regularly, which is why you have irregular periods. Mm -hmm. Now, having one off where it's like, oh, maybe you had an anovulatory cycle. Mm -hmm. We don't worry about that. That's Mm -hmm. not abnormal. Mm -hmm. It's also not abnormal as you get into later perimenopausal years Mm -hmm. to not have regular cycles. Mm -hmm. So that's also important to understand. There is a phase in your life where you are phasing out of having regular ovulation and therefore regular menstruation. Mm -hmm. And at that point, That's about, you know, around 45 or older. Mm -hmm. That is considered normal.
1: Okay, good to know. And in that same vein, talking about cycles, I know just a little bit ago, you mentioned that 28-day window. Is it normal to have, you know, not a 28-day cycle, even if it's regular? Or, you know, what if it's a little bit shorter or longer than that period? I'd be curious what you would say to that.
0: If
2: you are not having a 28-day cycle, you are definitely normal. Mm -hmm. Since only 13% of all women Cycle about every four weeks to the day, and there's so we have research that's shown us that like 28 days isn't the norm. You're normal if it's 28, mm-hmm. you're also normal if it's somewhere between 24 to 35 days. Mm-hmm. If it's less than 24, that could be a sign that your ovary isn't making enough progesterone. Mm-hmm. We could have a luteal phase defect, as that's called. Mm-hmm. If it's beyond 35 days, it could be a sign of hypothyroidism or polycystic ovarian syndrome. So it's just important that if you have other symptoms and your cycles are beyond these, you know, this time frame, mm-hmm. to definitely investigate that. Mm-hmm. And then the one caveat I would say is that if you have a teenager and they just got their period, it is normal for the first few years mm-hmm. for them to have cycles anywhere from 21 to 45 days. Mm-hmm. So they the can be... Exactly. Because Mm -hmm. the brain and ovarian communication is just starting to get established Mm -hmm. and it can take a few years before it's mature enough for you to have regular, regular predictive cycles. Mm If it goes beyond that and it's like, wow, no, it's been you know years of this, so we're going beyond two years, it's definitely worth getting checked out and investigating. Mm-hmm. If there's other symptoms, and we can certainly go further into other symptoms, I'm sure we will, yeah. then we definitely want to investigate what might be going on. Mm-hmm.
1: So it sounds like, you know, to break it down just in almost like parts, it sounds like at the very beginning when a teenager or young girl is first getting her cycle, as well as kind of at the very end when it's that perimenopausal, when your cycles are starting to, you know, like in both of those windows, it can be a little bit more normal for that to be irregular because your hormones are shifting and changing and either phasing out of having cycles or phasing into having cycles. Is that accurate. That's my like layman's terms way of describing it. I
0: I
2: love this actually because one is puberty and the Mm -hmm. other perimenopause people have called like the second puberty Mm -hmm. or the more mature puberty because you can actually have acne come back. Mm -hmm. Mood swings can intensify like the stuff you went through as a teen Mm -hmm. can come back again Mm -hmm. in perimenopause as those hormones are shifting and things are becoming irregular again. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be just so everybody knows in my book, I got you covered Mm -hmm. whether you are a teen
1: perimenopause in between I have lots of things to help you. Awesome. Love it. Okay. So you mentioned some cramping is normal, like a little bit of pain is normal, but not like severe pain that's debilitating. So being able to gauge that is important. But I want to also ask about blood and blood volume, because you talked about, about like, if it's really heavy or going longer than seven days. So just to give somebody like a frame of reference, if they're wondering like, well, how much blood is normal during a period specifically, what would you say to that?
2: It really like it. It feels like more than what I'm gonna say, but it's only about two and a half to three ounces, or a couple of tablespoons. And I know people are gonna. People are always like, "No, I'm. It's got to be more than that." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, it's not more than like you know, like a, sh-
1: a couple shot glasses <laughs> in mm-hmm. the average period." It's crazy because I think when you are actively bleeding, it seems like a lot more of, than that, and it can mm-hmm. also be kind of hard to tell. Because and so I, I'm curious if you have any guidelines, on like how to get a gauge if if you're close to that. Like how do you measure that if you're not catching everything in a shot glass? <laughs> like, yeah. just honestly, if
2: you don't have a menstrual cup, like right the the right. flexible shot glass, right? Yeah, <laughs> I've actually never thought of it like that. Now <laughs> now I can't unsee that image. <laughs> Yeah, so I think like I got a whole checklist in the book. I have Mm. lots of checklists, and this is one of them. I think a good way to understand it is just in the framework of what you are using for period products. So if you're finding that you have to wear a super tampon and a pad, you're doubling up, you're probably bleeding too much. Mm. If you have to change it in the middle of the night, probably bleeding too much. Mm. And again, If it's going beyond seven days, that is something that we consider too much. But the other thing is looking at clots. So if you have very large clots, clots a quarter size or bigger, like Mm -hmm. like the coin a quarter, Mm -hmm. then that's a sign of heavy bleeding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people will say like, oh, you should have no clots in your menstrual blood. Mm -hmm. That's actually a myth. Anytime you bleed, you should clot. Like mm-hmm. that's a healthy body. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a clotting disorder, we're, we're going to see clots. Mm-hmm. And so having small clots, totally normal. But if you're seeing those large ones, that's your body really working mm-hmm. to try to try to basically, you know, put a, a little bridge, a little dam, if you will, on the bleeding and slow things down.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting, but also good to know because I have heard like if you have any little tiny clots, that's a problem. And it actually logically that doesn't really make sense. So I'm glad that you explained that.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, you also hear things like, oh, if you have any brown blood, then mm-hmm. that's a problem. And it's like, well, actually, once brown blood, mm-hmm. it's oxidized blood. It's right. so when an oxygen and iron meet, and that's totally normal. And right. most people will see some brown blood at the end of their period. Mm-hmm. If you're having like three days of spotting of brown blood, then maybe we're not getting effective contractions we're not moving things out in the way that we really should be. Mm -hmm. But just about everybody. I get messages all the time from people being like, something's wrong with me. This I heard online, it's Mm -hmm. not normal. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, like this is this is like one of the times my chemistry degree comes into play where Mm -hmm. I'm like, actually, let me explain it to you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, it's totally true. It makes so much sense. And I think so many people get kind of wrapped up in whatever they hear is maybe a myth or like, because like you said, if it's three or four days of brown bleeding, that's totally different than if you have like a little bit at the end for a day, you know, but I think we hear, Mm -hmm. oh, brown blood bad, you know, and we just immediately like put these things into categories and freak ourselves out sometimes when it's not even necessary. So I'm glad that you kind of break that down in a much more easy to understand way. And like, logically, again, that makes so much sense. Another question I have is cycle tracking. Can you explain how a woman can track her cycle and why it's important? Oh,
2: gosh, it is so important because this is the data of your body, Mm -hmm. your cycle. So we've heard it called the fifth vital sign many times. I don't think people actually talk about what that means. So we track your blood pressure. We track your temperature. We track these things that tell us like how is the vitality of your body. And your menstrual cycle is certainly one of those. So tracking, I go through this in the book. We start with day one which is the first day of your period. That's when you have flow. And they take you through everything you want to be tracking. So how, how much blood are you losing? What are your symptoms like? Are you having acne? Are you having anxiety? Are you having headaches? And really these symptoms we want to track throughout our entire cycle. Mm-hmm. We want to know how long that period lasts and how many days from the first day that you bleed to the next day you bleed. That's mm-hmm. the t- total cycle length. Mm-hmm. So we want to know period symptoms, period flow, how long the period is, and then how long the cycle is, and then we want to understand the symptoms that come up throughout it. Like if you are not on uh, like birth control or any medication that prevents ovulation, I want to know what your symptoms are like around ovulation as well. So, do you have fertile cervical mucus? Is your libido up? Are you noticing any skin changes? Any mood changes? So, this kind of data is really helpful for us to understand what's going on with your hormones. You know, when you are. Talking before about perimenopause, perimenopause, we can't diagnose via blood work. We actually use symptoms to guide us. The same symptom check that I put in the book, Mm -hmm. those are the exact symptom questionnaire that I ask patients so that we can guide treatment.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, so speaking of symptoms, I know in your book you explore a lot of different issues that can be caused by hormone imbalance, and you specifically go through symptoms that are associated with having you know, incorrect amounts of specific hormones and et cetera. And I want to dig into that a little bit more, especially because you mentioned it. Can you share symptoms that are commonly seen with having either too much or too little uh, cortisol or the stress hormone? Because I think this is something a lot of women experience in one way or another, whether that's from adrenal fatigue or similar issues. And so I'm curious what symptoms you see associated with that. Not necessarily specifically in perimenopause or anything like that, but just in general. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, no, because cortisol problems can hit us at any right. stage of life. And it's not like it's not female body specific as well. So if you have male pe- males in your life, I was going to say a male partner, but really like any mm-hmm. man in your life, definitely listen up because this can affect men as well. So In the book, I have the questionnaire and I help people understand the difference between high and low cortisol. And I think what's important as we go into the symptoms is to understand that low cortisol comes following high cortisol and it is a adaptation by the body. It's not Mm -hmm. that you don't make enough cortisol. It's that your body has now adapted because the high cortisol is so damaging it's aging us at the cellular level, literally destroying us. Cortisol is yeah. a really good thing mm-hmm. until you have too much of it, right. and so it's very likely. Let's go from the high to the cortisol high to low cortisol symptoms because it's very likely that's the way things will track. So, if you're noticing that you're feeling that stress is overwhelming, you're feeling exhausted, or you get you get a stressor that hits, and then you're like, I just have to take a nap. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I just feel depleted you're easily distracted, especially when stress goes high, like your brain can't focus. So Mm -hmm. cortisol is really destructive to brain cells. Mm -hmm. You're starting to have memory issues. You're feeling on the edge or really easy to anger. Mm -hmm. And you're like, why am I so mad? Why Mm -hmm. did I blow up over that? Mm -hmm. And something else you might notice is you have midsection weight gain. So that's the cortisol belly that people will talk Mm -hmm. about. And maybe you're someone who's getting sick all the time. And Mm so that's where that high cortisol can start out. It's like, it's not always just amped all the time. You can have the fatigue component. Mm -hmm. And then we go into low cortisol. And this is where we're not compensating as well. Our body's inactivating cortisol. The adrenal glands and the brain aren't talking the way they used to. Mm -hmm. So you might notice you get dizzy if you stand up too quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're having sensitivity to light. So you can actually do this test where you go in the mirror and you shine light through this on the side, not directly in your eyes, but mm-hmm. through the side of your eyes. And you can watch your pupil. Your pupil should constrict and contract. Mm -hmm. But if you hold that light there, that pupil will dilate and open up. You don't even have to do this test. I just have to ask you, how is it like, are you wearing sunglasses all the time? Like, Mm -hmm. Do you find it's difficult to see if it's sunny outside? Mm -hmm. Do you find that like you're in Costco and you're angry and you're like, why can't I see like Mm -hmm. I'm having like problems? That is because of the way that your adrenal glands and the cortisol issues are affecting the muscles of your eyes. So that can be, Yeah, it is. And it's something that, you know, sometimes you will be I don't so I'll give this example. I remember I was in medical school and we were practicing exams on each other and I was working like, you know, 10, 20 hours a week, if it was like spring break Mm -hmm. and I was teaching like five AM classes, but studying until like eleven o'clock midnight. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting very little sleep Mm -hmm. and stressed out. And I remember laying on the bed and on the exam table and I was like, oh, I can't like I kept putting my hands over my eyes. My instructor was like, your adrenals are in a really bad place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, What do you mean? And she's like, you're too sensitive to light. Mm-hmm. So if you find that you're one of those people, that can be a sign of low cortisol. The adrenals have just punched past the threshold. A couple other things is that maybe you're exhausted even when you wake up after a full night's rest. Mm-hmm. You have headaches when you wake up. You need stimulants in the afternoon, especially. So your mm-hmm. energy's crashing. So you're like chocolate, coffee, mm-hmm. donuts, mm-hmm. <laughs> checking off all of that and the cravings for salty or sweet food so Especially like if you're having the, I'm getting dizzy when I stand up and then you're craving salty foods, your adrenal glands are also responsible for governing your blood pressure and helping make sure your brain gets enough blood. And so that can be another sign. So I list off a bunch of stuff here. If anybody is nodding their head right now, please get the book. I've got tons of
1: protocols around all of this. Mm, so good. I think that's I, the reason I wanted to ask about cortisol too is because while well, I've personally experienced it, like I got the, one of the tests that t- tracks your cortisol over time, can you, actually, this is a little bit of a tangent, but just for people who are like, huh, I wonder if I have like low cortisol or something. Can you tell us the appropriate way to test cortisol? Because I've had doctors be like, oh, let's just run a quick like blood test. And they did it once. They're like your mm-hmm. cortisol looks good. And then I learned later, like you have to do it over the course of a couple of days. It's like, it's a process. So can you tell us how yeah. you actually, actually test that?
2: Totally. So I talk about different conditions in the book. So there's the you know, adrenal dysfunction. <laughs> Most of us walk around and experience at some point. Mm-hmm. Then there's Cushing's disease. And there is Addison's disease. Addison's disease is the true adrenal fatigue. That's truly when your adrenals cannot function. And that's because there's been tissue destruction due to autoimmunity. So with those, your doctor will be like, let me run an ACTH brain hormone that talks to the adrenal glands in the morning cortisol. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, it looks fine. Send you on your way. Mm -hmm. But we really need to understand what cortisol looks like throughout our day. Mm -hmm. So I'm a fan of the Dutch test. Mm -hmm. There's other ways to do this testing as well, but getting at least four points throughout the day, because sometimes what you see is that, well, cortisol may be fine in the morning. Mm -hmm. It completely tanks by like 10 Mm a.m. Or other times what you'll see is that it's low. This is very common in moms, Mm -hmm. low in the morning Mm -hmm. and high in the evening and that is because i swear these little humans love to just train us mm-hmm. to be exactly on their own clock to yeah. be up with them yeah. so yeah so that is why it's so helpful to get that information i think additionally test why i like the dutch test is because you test cortisol and cortisone mm-hmm. and so we want to see not only are you making enough most people are making enough but when they're struggling with low symptoms they're inactivating it so they're mm-hmm. actually inactivating it this is where sometimes people will say oh, just take adrenal glandulars, like take mm-hmm. these like actual ground up adrenal glands. And then people are like, I took some, I felt angry, I felt wired. And mm-hmm. then I was just depleted and exhausted. I'm like, yeah, because you had an empty tank and someone decided it was like, put you, put the pedal to the metal and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And you were like, we're going and we're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just like mm-hmm. game over. Because that's not the answer. The answer is actually to dial it back. Mm-hmm. And the other issue can be is that, your receptors for cortisol. So all of our hormones have to dock onto a receptor Mm -hmm. and get and stimulate those cells. Those receptors can also be basically blunted or unaccepting of the cortisol signal. So you make enough, but you're still not getting enough of of the stimulation, the cellular level,
1: Mm -hmm. because you've made so much, it would be dangerous for your body. It's so fascinating. I Thank you for explaining that because I remember when I did my first Dutch test a few years ago and I got the results back and I, w- I didn't know how to interpret them, but I saw the little curve and I was like, oh, perfect. I'm not stressed because I saw like no curve basically. <laughs> and yeah. you're supposed to see this like kind of rise in the morning and then it slowly comes down. Anyway, I like went to my provider. I was like, look, my cortisol's fine. They're like, no, your cortisol's in the toilet. It's not even rising, you know? And yeah. so I think it's, but, you know, I had had a doctor even tell me from a blood test a few months prior to that, like, oh, your cortisol's good. So in my brain, I was like, this is just confirmation. So understanding how to even appropriately Check that. It's like your symptoms can tell you a lot, which I think my body was. But then that next step of like really getting an accurate full picture, I think is so important because that was really eye opening for me. Have you ever wanted to live a little bit more of a natural and holistic lifestyle for the sake of your well being and your family's well being, as well as to be a little bit more self sustaining, but just felt really confused on where to start, especially if you can't just like up and move to a farm tomorrow? Look, when I first started my holistic wellness journey, I remember I felt so overwhelmed. There's so much information all over the Internet nowadays, and it's so hard to discern and to know which brands are truly clean and how do I source food locally and where do I even begin with all this stuff, especially if I have a busy life and I live maybe in an apartment or a suburban life, or I just don't have like goats in my backyard to go milk, you know, like how how do I do this? And um, it can be really overwhelming. So, what I did is I wanted to take the guesswork out of it for you because I think one of the biggest things that holds so many of us back is not only the financial side of it and the worry that it's going to be more expensive, but also the time. Most of us don't have months or years to invest in researching and reading labels and figuring out how to do that and doing all this research on our own. So we just don't and we kind of get stuck. So what I wanted to do is create a quick start guide for you. And it's called the Lifestyle Overhaul Guide. It is a step-by-step quick start guide to living a more natural and sustainable life. And it is laid out in a step-by-step format. It covers everything from budgeting for these changes to really reducing stress and creating a more sustainable schedule and lifestyle in terms of your time, to cleaning up the products in your home and reducing your toxin burden, how to really start with that and what to prioritize and how to do that in a budget-friendly way, to sourcing more food locally shortening your supply chain, being less reliant on the grocery store and big food systems and starting to really use the resources in your local community. I'm giving you all the best resources on how to find those things, how to source those things and how to get started right where you are. So if that sounds like something you need, you can tap the link in the show notes on this episode, or just go to jordanleedooley.com slash lifestyle overhaul to check out all the details and grab yourself a copy. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she thrivemarket.com slash she. Something else I want to ask about is thyroid hormone, because this is also mm. something that I think a lot of women aren't, don't know how to navigate or aren't really well guided by doctors on. But what yeah. symptoms would be seen if someone has issues with their thyroid hormone? I know it can either be low or too high, so I'd be curious um, how like, they can gauge that just even based on symptoms.
2: Sure. So this the most common we're going to see is too low, too high is due to a condition called Graves disease. And it's much more rare than the condition of hypothyroidism, most commonly caused by Hashimoto's, a different kind of autoimmune disease. In Graves disease, the antibodies will actually stimulate the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. We can find that our heart heart is racing, we're gritting our teeth, we're not sleeping, we're sweaty all the time, we're losing weight, we've got a hand tremor, so Mm. people are sometimes shaking. And the opposite of that is hypothyroidism. It can be caused by nutrient deficiencies transiently because of infections or because the body's trying to heal from something, Mm. but the most common cause is going to be Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is the number one autoimmune condition that affects women. And in that autoimmunity, you destroy your own thyroid gland. And so then those symptoms look like things like irregular or missed periods, which can be confusing because hyperthyroid can cause that as well, but you're going to have difficulty concentrating memory issues brain fog issues you're going to notice brittle splitting nails maybe you're losing hair on your head losing the outer third of your eyebrows noticing your hair is like tangled all the time Mm -hmm. if you have curly hair so there's the splitting hair and if you have curly hair it gets more tangled it's a propensity to be more tangled Mm -hmm joint pain, muscle aches, having slow digestion or constipation. And then with what's unfortunate is that hypothyroidism can be a cause of infertility, but it also can be cause of miscarriage. And sometimes doctors are not screening thyroid until there's been multiple miscarriages, mm-hmm. which that as many, somebody uh-huh. who's had multiple miscarriages, I think that is a huge disservice mm-hmm. and it's gross negligence. Yeah. In my opinion, we should just... Anyone who expresses a desire to become pregnant should have their thyroid screen.
1: No, I completely agree because- that was, you know, I have, I feel like I went through multiple miscarriages as well. And I felt like everything was reactive instead of proactive in the like general medical field. And it's so interesting to me because I'm like, we do like annual pap smears. Why are we not just doing some basic screening for like hormone balance and oh, yeah, thyroid? Yeah. Like it's just, thyroid it's a blood test. Like annual. Yeah. It's so true. Uh, okay. I'm glad you feel the same way. Cause I'm like, this is a huge disservice to people who don't understand why they're not getting pregnant and why they're, you know, and then they're like, try for a year and then we'll test some things or like have three miscarriages and then we'll test some things. It's like, what in the world is this? It's so background. Okay. You Thank know, you for- I feel
2: like, uh, yeah, in some ways, anytime somebody wants to become pregnant, having a screening with like a functional medicine, mm-hmm. an osteopathic doctor, or even a reproductive endocrinologist mm-hmm. is far better than your average like yes. primary care provider mm-hmm. because all of us are going to dig a lot deeper and try to identify any problems that might be coming on the road ahead. Mm -hmm. And it's so frustrating to tell someone like, oh, wait a year if
1: there's problems. Especially if they're like starting later in life. It's just like. To me,
2: I'm like, that is like an insurance driven decision in the United States and not a clinician driven decision because I have good friends who are reproductive endocrinologists Mm -hmm. and they're like, I would just rather see someone at the start. Mm -hmm. I know that everything's fine. And like, if they don't need me, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, especially after age 35, like just going in, meeting with an RE, having them screen, you know, screen what's necessary, but having that person. So if things go wrong, you can get additional screening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so true. Well, that's, it's, it's the model, like you said, that I think an insurance driven (laughs) decision. So frustrating. Yeah. Um, But I think that's also helpful for people to hear too, because I think it can be easily like interpreted as my doctor doesn't care or, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, that's not always the case. So I think that's also something that can be a little bit helpful too. Okay. One other thing I want to ask about, we've talked about cortisol. We've talked about thyroid. I also want to talk a little bit about estrogen and progesterone because these, I know are the two that are much more Like We think about those when we think about female hormones, but what are some symptoms that are associated with estrogen issues, like estrogen dominance or things like that, or progesterone issues, like maybe not having enough progesterone? What are some things we should look out for if we think you know, or that maybe we've been having some symptoms and want to know, like, is this maybe associated with one of these hormones? I'd be curious what you would say to that.
2: Yeah. You obviously know how these two like to go Mm -hmm. together because it is usually high estrogen and low progesterone symptoms that Mm -hmm. go together. So as I talk about in the book, this is the most common sex hormone combination to see when you're going through the questionnaire Mm -hmm. is that you will see things coming up for high estrogen, like heavy periods, rum bloating, Mm -hmm. puffiness, Mm -hmm. fluid retention, feeling really cranky, irritable, mood swings, especially before your period, noticing breast tenderness and swelling. And even hair loss is something that Mm -hmm. can show up. Mm -hmm. And with that high estrogen picture, this is when we usually see weight gain in the hips, butt and thighs. Mm -hmm. And you can also see headaches coming up. So I mentioned headaches with we've got cortisol, but you can see cyclical migraines or period related headaches. So most common times is you'll see it around ovulation or around menstruation. So if you're having headaches that are only isolated at that time, that can point towards high estrogen and high estrogen can develop because we're either not ovulating or we're failing to make the progesterone we need after we ovulate. And when you've got low progesterone, You'll sometimes see shorter luteal phases. So Mm -hmm. that's when from ovulation to period, it's fewer than 12 days. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get to 10 days, like that's pretty good. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for people to understand, it's a problem when it's fewer than 12 days and we're having anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. we're spotting several days before our period, Mm -hmm. We're also like weepy and sad and maybe also experiencing those headaches around the luteal phase, that late luteal phase, especially because now estrogen is unchallenged by progesterone. And especially apparent in perimenopause is that feeling of anxiety and insomnia, which is sometimes ruminating racing thoughts as you're trying to go to sleep, but also you can't go to sleep because and this is only happening right before your period. Unlike cortisol issues, which are going to be having no cyclical signs.
1: Okay, good to know. Yeah, it's, it's, well, okay, so I I actually have a question that thought to follow that up, because I know the most common is the high progesterone low or the high estrogen low progesterone. Can it ever be the opposite? Because I've like never heard of that. But is that even a thing? The most
2: common time that I see progesterone excess is when somebody is actually supplementing with it. Oh. So if somebody is taking progesterone, that's where we warrant And it's confusing because it's like, oh, you're also weepy and you're having mm-hmm. breast tenderness if mm-hmm. you have excess. But we, what we also know about excess progesterone is that you'll be groggy mm-hmm. in the morning and you're going to feel you're going to feel a little more bluesy or depressed. Okay.
1: Okay. Super helpful. Cause I w- I've just never heard of that. I'm like, I wonder if that's even something people ever experienced, but it makes sense if you're supplementing too. Okay. Last hormone I want to touch on briefly is I think a lot of women often think often think of testosterone as a male hormone. And the reality is we, as women also produce it, just not as much. What are some issues or symptoms that could come up if a woman's testosterone is either too high or too low? I, so
2: I love the it this way because yes, People always like testosterone. That's a male hormone, Mm -hmm. except that testosterone is the most abundant of the sex hormones in a woman's body. You have more Mm -hmm. testosterone than you have estrogen, albeit you're Mm -hmm. just, you know, you have different bioavailability in the way that you're using it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the most common uh, conditions that have problems with testosterone is polycystic ovarian syndrome where insulin stimulates the ovaries to produce more testosterone. And we see things like oily skin, thinning hair, strong body odor. Mm. This can contribute to a regular period so that those anovulatory cycles Mm. we talked about And having mood swings or feeling like rage can Mm. happen as well. Now, you can also get this from supplementing with DHEA. There are definitely conditions where you can have higher androgens. But if you are having this, as I talk about in the book, you've got to get tested for PCOS. You need to get worked up for PCOS to make sure that's not what's going on. Now, on the flip side, the thing, okay, whenever we talk about fatigue, nobody talks about low testosterone issues. Mm. And this is something I find I'm talking about all of the time because people don't realize that testosterone is part of our motivation, our energy. So if you're feeling fatigued, you have depression, lack of motivation, you're, you know, low sexual desire, right? Or libido. We all think about that. But it's also things like crying really easily, having a hard time uh, gaining muscle mass, or even noticing that you're like, I, my body composition's changing. I've got more fat then I have muscle now, this can
1: be a sign of low testosterone. Hmm. That is so fast. I mean, I guess it makes sense because if you think about it, like, I, I don't know, I even think about like, okay, well, if guys have healthy, you know, testosterone, healthy hormone levels, like they're usually pretty active fit, whatever they have the energy. Why would that not affect us too? Right? Like, yeah, that makes total sense. But we don't think no, of it I, affecting us because we think, oh, I don't have a lot of, or I don't, I don't really need testosterone.
2: Yeah. Well, the other thing I'll say as you're, you know, I should have prefaced like I did with the the cortisol is that men can experience the same symptoms. So Mm -hmm. the same symptoms of low testosterone for women that I talk about in the book, they can show up the same way for men. So I always recommend that people check that out and understand that. Just because testosterone's low doesn't mean that like it's going to be a libido isolated issue like mm. so many of us are told. Yeah.
1: So interesting. Okay. Really helpful. Thank you for explaining that. So I briefly want to talk about endocrine disruptors. Endocrine means like your endocrine system, your hormones. Um, mm-hmm. Can you just explain what these are and where they're often found and what conditions they can contribute to? Oh, gosh.
2: And like buckle up, everybody. <laughs> now,
1: like, this could be a whole different disruptors. episode.
2: Yeah, their their little name is exactly what they're doing. They're disrupting your hormones, and they are known to be, you know, associated with things like PCOS. We talked about fibroids, endometriosis, infertility, uh, infertility in both men and women. Uh, it's very eye opening. The research that's come out showing us that men today have about fifty percent of the sperm that mm-hmm. their grandfathers did. And they point a lot towards endocrine disruptors as being the problem. So Mm -hmm. when we think about endocrine disruptors, I think we often think about personal care products, which Mm is important. Phthalates are Mm -hmm. something that are found in personal care products. They're associated with lower testosterone in both men and women, Mm -hmm. and they can block your ability to use testosterone. So all of those low testosterone symptoms, those can be related to phthalates. Mm -hmm. You know, something I didn't mention is uh, primary ovarian insufficiency. That's when the ovaries quit cycling too early in life before Mm -hmm. age 35, or excuse me, before age 45. If you lose your period and your doctor's like, oh yeah, you're 40, you're in menopause, wrong. No. That's primary ovarian insufficiency or something else, and it needs Mm. to get worked up. And we know that that is linked to things like BPA or the bisphenols altogether. Mm. It's also linked with like phthalates and parabens, and these things all accelerate ovarian aging, I think is really important for people to understand. I actually say in the book, like, and your anti-aging cream for mm-hmm. your face may be accelerating the aging of your ovaries. Yeah. Which is just like, what is the what is the point here? So mm-hmm. these endocrine disruptors, they can show up in a lot of places in our lives and they have a major, major
1: impact on our hormone mm-hmm. health. Yeah. This is, I mean, just for the people in my community that, you know, follow and listen to everything, this is why I always talk about the importance of like cleaning up your personal care products, your beauty products, the things that you're putting on your skin and on your body every day, like it, it has such an effect as it cumulatively builds up, you know? And I think, I, I'd be curious what your response to this is, Dr. Brighton, but I think a lot of people say like, oh, it's just a little bit of fragrance or just a Ugh. little bit of appearance. And it's like, yeah, but that, that's yeah. in everything you're using and your laundry detergent and your dish detergent. Like it'd be one thing if you cleaned up everything and then you happen to use some Windex now and then, but like if it's everywhere and you're being exposed to it in everything that you're doing, like it starts to like overflow overflow like your bucket you know but i'd be curious your thoughts on that
2: no i think this is the marketing around this has been so fantastic where Mm -hmm. we've been told things like well it's such a small amount in this product Mm -hmm. or the fda don't Mm know like the fda lets it in yeah but other countries have banned it like Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. why would they ban it so but we're, we're told these things and so people are like oh the dose makes the poison, but what mm-hmm. they don't realize is that nobody has ever done the research to be like you as an individual, where did you grow up mm-hmm. and what was your exposure and what was your mother and your grandmother's exposure? Cause mm-hmm. we know that matters mm-hmm. too. And like, what are you being exposed to in all these other places and how many of your products contain these same things? Mm-hmm. Like we don't have this kind of information. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really scary when you go and you look at you know, if you live near agriculture or you've grown up near it, you've got a high exposure to endocrine disruptors mm-hmm. and potentially cancer causing agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you live anywhere in the United States, please Google super fun sites mm-hmm. that you may have grown up near or be you know near. These are extreme exposures. And so you have to frame it in that way of what have you already been exposed to? What are we being exposed to? But also like the thing that really gets me about all of this mm-hmm. is like, Why do we not think of ourselves as so integral as part of our environment? Mm -hmm. And people, you know, I actually just put out a newsletter and I was sharing like all of these travel tips. And I shared with people, like, you want to travel with your own water bottle so you can Mm -hmm. avoid plastic. And I had some people say, Well, you know, if that's the only time I'm using plastic, is it really that bad? And Mm I'm like, no, look, I every time I speak on a stage, they bring me a plastic water bottle Mm -hmm. and I try my damnedest not to drink out of it. And yet sometimes it happens. Mm -hmm. I will even bring my own cups and do all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. But like my biggest thought is that that might be one time for me and I know my body can clear it. Mm -hmm. But that one time single use plastic is forever in the environment for my children, their children, Mm -hmm. and for the existence of all humans on this planet. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so true. I think we don't even think about like the convenience items very often. And it's like those little things that you just use every day or, you know, that are everywhere. They make such a difference for the environment, for your body, for your future generation, like everything, you know, and we just don't even Mm -hmm. think about it or see it because it's just like convenient. I mean, even like to go coffee cups are like plastic, you know, like it's just, it's everything. So you have, and it's like, there's, I think there has to be that like, okay, what can I control? What can I not, you know, what can I be proactive about? But if you can be somewhat proactive and cut down your use of those things, it can really make a huge difference. I mean, it really does.
2: Even... Yeah. Even just pausing and having the thought, Mm -hmm. having the thought and bringing the awareness Mm -hmm. like that can change behavior so much. Mm -hmm. And this is also important because once these plastics are in our environment, they're Mm -hmm. now in our water supply, they're in our foods, Mm -hmm. they're in your plants, they're in your animals, Mm -hmm. like they're in the things that you consume. Mm -hmm. And as is the case with forever chemicals, like these are, I, I just hate to be so doomsday about Mm -hmm. it. Sometimes I do have my panics at night when I'm going to sleep and I'm just like, what have we done to this planet? Mm-hmm. Because we're literally eradicating our own species mm-hmm. by the use of these endocrine disruptors mm-hmm. and the fact that in the United States, it's not until it's gotten so, so bad mm-hmm. that they then remove a chemical, but by then it's too late. Yeah. But you know, for people to understand that these bisphenols, so the most research is on DPAs, you know, there is research showing it causes oxidative stress in the ovaries. If you've mm-hmm. got oxidative stress and disruption of your ability to make hormones in your ovaries, you can become infertile. And is this the only thing that we can point to causing infertility? No, mm-hmm. but we have to like start having these honest conversations because it's when we bring the awareness that we can bring change. And The consumer has a lot of power in where they put their dollar.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really do vote with your dollar. It's so true. Okay. Speaking of all of these things, I want to talk a little bit about detoxification and why it's important. So what's the importance of detoxification for your hormones and how can we better support our body's detox process?
2: Okay, so this is where, like, if you just freaked out about the endocrine disruptors, (laughs) keep in mind that your body's pretty good at getting this stuff out. So we know minimize exposure, support, detoxification. Mm -hmm. That is a way that we can safeguard our body. So... When it comes to detox, our body will move waste out via the kidneys, which urine, mm-hmm. our bowels via uh, poop, and then our lungs as well. Our mm-hmm. skin is another way, and we can support all of this. So some of the things that I love for supporting detox is one, making sure that you're eating the nutrients your liver needs to package up the metabolic waste that you make and what you're bringing in as well. Mm-hmm. so, cruciferous vegetables, um, high quality proteins, because you need amino acids to do this as well, I actually have a whole liver graphic in is this normal that shows you how you can support your liver at each phase. And so and then in the back of the book, there's a whole chart about what foods contain those nutrients. Mm -hmm. So you can eat in a way to help the detox pathways. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to estrogen, estrogen has to be packaged up by the liver. Mm -hmm. And you can make you can make less harmful metabolites, or you can make metabolites that can cause some serious DNA damage. So mm-hmm. as anyone can imagine we don't want the latter. Mm-hmm. So we want the liver to package up our metabolites appropriately, and then it's gonna move it out via the kidneys mm-hmm. and the gut. Mm-hmm. When it gets to the gut, your bacteria are part of the estrovolum. Mm-hmm. The estrovolum in your gut, which is how you manage your estrogen can reactivate this via an enzyme known as beta-glucuronidase. So if there's dysbiosis and then this can contribute to more estrogen being available to your system. Mm -hmm. So this is one way where supporting detox can really help our hormones. Mm -hmm. So eating things like cruciferous vegetables, we're just going to have DIN, sulforaphane, and then taking a supplement with calcium d I mean, you can take a supplement with DIM, sulforaphane, and calcium d gluconate. Mm. Like Balanced Women's Hormone Support has that with all of this in mind. But mm. the calcium d helps with the beta glucuronidase, so that you don't activate and undo what your liver already did. And so mm. you can move some of that estrogen out. So mm. that's some of the importance of why we want to support detox pathways. And if people are like wondering about like, Well, what about saunas? I mean, yes, saunas are great. Mm -hmm. Sweating in general is great because your skin is another way that we move things out. But our primary way that we want to be moving things out um, when it comes to hormones is going to
1: be the bowels and the kidneys. Yeah, so true. Okay. I also love that you have that in the back. You said that's in the back of your book, right?
2: there's a chart in the back of the book in the appendix that has the nutrient and then the foods that you'll find it in and also how to tell if you're low in that nutrient. Mm -hmm.
1: I love that. That's a very helpful tool. Um, I have not discovered that in your book yet. So that's the next thing I'm going to go look at. This has all been so good. I'm like, I have a million more questions and we've already been here almost an hour. So (laughs) I feel like we can wrap it up, but I just want to say, thank you for one, writing this book. And two, Walking us through some of this stuff because I think sometimes you know the idea of even you know starting with the book can be overwhelming until we kind of get a little bit of guidance and so just your ability to kind of break down some of the things we should be watching for and what that could mean when it comes to our hormones can really be helpful in. Kind of helping us identify things and make proactive decisions and start really educating ourselves. And so everything you've shared has been so good and so informative and just so helpful. I remember when I was first learning about some of this, it was just like, oh my gosh! It was like this. It was like this. The clouds parted and the sun came through. You know, and I'm like, everything makes sense Aww. for the first time. Yeah. So yeah. it's you know, I think it's really an important thing for people to understand. I'm so thankful you are willing to give your time and really write this book to help guide people and give us a manual, give women something to better understand what's going on with their bodies and get the answers that we've maybe been embarrassed to ask, you know, questions about or that we just don't understand. So all of it's so good. I'd love if you can just kind of to wrap up, point us to where can we get the book and where can we find you and learn more from you?
2: You can get the book at, you know, any indie, indie book retailers, you can support your local bookstore. And then of course you can get at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all the, all the usual places where they sell books. And then you can find me at my main hub, which is drbrighton.com, dot com, And then you can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at brighton. Yeah. And if you do get the book, uh, definitely head to drbrighton.com slash ITN. That says, mm-hmm. is this normal ITN dash resources. Mm-hmm. And there you'll find a cyclical four week meal plan. So mm-hmm. taking you through your cycle with recipes to support your hormones in each phase.
1: Mm-hmm that's awesome. Love it so much. Dr. Brighton, thank you for being here. Thank you for everything you've shared, for the work you're doing. I think I know it's blessing so many women. And I just know this is going to be such a good, helpful, you know, resource for our community. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. I
1: enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show.